I'm so glad all of you have joined us today. Uh, a lot of you, I rec- I mean, you're here every single week, part of our church family. Uh, some of you I haven't seen in a little while, and it's good to see you. And some of you I don't think I've ever met before. So glad you're here. And my name is John. I'm the pastor around here. And uh, I know. Listen, I'm from New York, so I have to try and sound Southern every now and then. And just to kind of fit in and be accepted, you know, and it doesn't work. It it never works. But uh, I'm glad that all of you are here with us today. And I know that holidays are weird, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Like holidays, Christian holidays are so important. They They are the most crucial days on our calendar all year round, like Christmas, Easter, all of it, you know. But they're always a little strange, too, for us because we have so many guests. And it's like, it's like, Normal church, but not really, because there's a lot of new faces and a lot of people don't know what to expect or how to behave or whatever else. You know, some of you are here for the first time and you're just like, it's really weird. And you're, you're, you're trying to assess everything and be like, what, what do I do? What do I not do? What do they do? What don't they do? You know, you're asking all those kinds of questions. And so sometimes it can be a little bit, a little bit awkward. And, and there are times for me, and I, I think I talked about this maybe at Christmas too, but holidays are always strange for me as a pastor because I feel like we got a lot of people come in from the outside, other churches or other ministry environments or whatever, and they have certain expectations of a pastor, like what a pastor is or isn't, like how they dress or how they talk. And so whenever I'm in mixed company and not just with our church family, I always feel like I have to be like a little extra pastorly, you know, like I kind of kind of be what a pastor is expected to be. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, I just like at Christmas, I decided I don't want to do that anymore. Um, so I'm just going to try to totally be myself today, and I want to encourage you to totally be yourself today and to relax and enjoy your time with us. Uh, it's always interesting when we have a mixed group of people in the room coming from all different kinds of backgrounds. Some of you are uh, part of our church family, and you've been here since the very beginning, or you're part of our church family, and you've been here for a little while, or you're visiting family, and you're in town, and this is their church family, and so maybe you are a Christian, and you have a church somewhere that you're a part of, and, and so you're used to that, or, or maybe you got invited. Well, hey, listen, here's reality, right? Some of you might not even want to be here today. Okay? <laughs> it's okay. All right? You're here because you were made to be here. I get it. I've had those days. I've been there myself. Okay? So I am glad that you're here. And you, you might be, you know, might be excited about God and about resurrection and about Easter, or you might be very skeptical or wonder what in the world is going on. You may not be sure how you feel about Jesus or about God. Either way, I'm glad that you're here. And this is the perfect week for you to be here with us, too. This is the perfect week for all of us from all our different backgrounds to gather together. All right, because what we celebrate today is the main thing. It's the main thing. It's the thing that draws all of us and binds all of us together, no matter where we're coming from, no matter what our history is, no matter what our perspective is. The reality is that in Christianity today, with media like it is and technology and information like it is, Christianity is so noisy. It is so noisy. There are so many voices and so many opinions out there that disagree and debate and argue and all those kinds of things. And when we're faced with that kind of stuff, we need to remember what is most important. I mean, you may, you may be very skeptical of Christianity. I certainly know that's possible, <laughs> likely in a lot of cases. Because you look at the world and you hear about Christianity, and a lot of times Christianity is attached to politics and this party or that party, this position or that position, this platform or that. There's a lot of discussion and debate about that and, and Christian role in government and all of that. There's a lot of discussion about uh, 
the Bible, right? I mean, there's so many different opinions about what this book is and what it's for and whether it's reliable or not and how you read it and what you're supposed to take literally and what you're supposed to contextualize and all of those discussions about this book. It becomes very noisy and confusing to know what Christians actually believe about this stuff or what you should believe about it. There's a lot of discussions about morality and sin. What is sin? What is not sin? What's acceptable and not acceptable? There's a lot of discussion about worship styles even within churches. What's the right way to worship? Is it this kind of music or that kind of music? Is it dressing this way or dressing that way? Is it this format or that format? Even within churches, the, the governance, the organization, are you supposed to have trustees? Are you supposed to have elders? Are you supposed to be a board of directors? Are you supposed to have overseers? What's that supposed to look like? What are budgets supposed to look like? What, what does leadership look like in the church? You know, what are women's role in the church? That's a big discussion. There's discussion about scripture and faith and what it has to do with science and how it dovetails or intersects with what we're discovering in the world through scientific research. There's discussion about spiritual gifts and which ones we're supposed to do and when and why and how. And there's so much conversation, so much noise, so many things that are discussed, debated, argued, all that, that it can make Christianity very cloudy. But listen, Christianity is not cloudy. It is very clear. It is very clear, and it is actually very simple. And all those things are important things for us to talk about. But they are not the main thing. They are not the main thing. And so today, when we come together and we gather here today, we want to focus on what the main thing is. And the main thing is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to read, okay? So we're going to go to the Gospel of John. We're going to read about this real event that happened. We're going to read from the Gospel of John. John was there. John saw it with his own eyes. And so what we're reading when we read the Gospel of John is an eyewitness testimony, firsthand eyewitness testimony of exactly what happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus. What we're about to read, regardless of what you think about the Bible or whatever else, you cannot get more reliable than eyewitness testimony that was written down by the person that saw it. All right, it is the, perhaps the most definitive uh, testimony that is given in a court of law, and it was the best thing that they had at the time that they had it, was to write down and to say what they saw. And that's what John did. So we're going to go to the Gospel of John. And... Let me get open here. I didn't think through how this was going to work, holding a microphone. <laughs> when I was practicing, I had two hands to hold, hold the Bible, and I was going to walk around, but I think we're going to be okay here. All right, so John uh, chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. We are going to put it on the screen. We are going to read a good bit here, and I'm going to try to, for the most part, read through it as it's written. There are a few places where I'll drop in some context or things so we know what's going on. All right, but in John chapter 19, we are coming into the middle of verse 16. Uh, that's okay to do, by the way. When John wrote this, he didn't put verse numbers. We added them later for our reference. We're going to go into the middle of verse 16. Jesus has just been tried, and it's been agreed that he's going to be crucified. Now, Jesus did nothing wrong. You need to know that, at least not in God's eyes. In the eyes of the religious leaders of the day, he'd committed heresy, and so they wanted him to be executed for that. So that's what he ends up being crucified for. But uh, John chapter 19, let's step into the middle of verse 16. Here we go. Then they took Jesus and led him away. And he, 
bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. And two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests and Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. One of my favorite spots in the scripture, by the way. (laughs) What's done is done, my friends. All right, verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, and this is a prophecy, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw, therefore, his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, And if I can just interject here so we know, when he says, when John says the disciple that Jesus loved, he's talking about himself. Okay, so he's saying that I was standing by with her. Okay, when Jesus saw, verse 26, Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And I just do want to point out, you know, when we read in Scripture, often we can detach uh, from people. Okay? And we need to remember that the people that wrote this, the people that witnessed this, the people that experienced this are, are real people just like you and I are. And John, who writes this for us, who gives his account and his, his eyewitness testimony, was as close to Jesus as anyone. So close, in fact, that when Jesus was about to die, he looked down and basically handed his mother over to John and said, John, take care of her. And John did. And so what John tells us here, we should take as seriously as anybody's testimony ever, or more so. All right? And he's going to explain what happened after that. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished... That the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. 
So they didn't want the bodies hanging on the cross on the Sabbath. And so they asked that they would go break the legs of all three men so that they would die. The, the primary way you would die on a, a crucifix or a cross would be to suffocate under the weight of your own body. And so they would break their legs so that they would then suffocate and die. Then the soldiers, verse 32, then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. John's talking about himself, okay? He's saying, I saw it with my own eyes, and I'm telling you the truth. He who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Now, if we're going to break for just one second. Uh, first of all, 100 pounds of aloe and myrrh is a lot of aloe and myrrh. <laughs> so it was, it was a tremendous gift. You know, one of the gifts that was given to Jesus at his birth by the Magi was myrrh, right? That was one of the things. It was a, a fragrant. It was a, like a perfume. It was like a, a gum kind of thing. And so they, he brought it for Jesus' burial. But, Joseph, or, but Nicodemus is such an interesting guy. You notice it said that he first came to Jesus by night. Well, the first time we meet Nicodemus is way back in John chapter 3, near the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader who, who get, you know, rightly so, they get uh, talked against much in the New Testament. But not all of them disbelieved in Jesus. And so uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night in John chapter 3 and asks him about asks him about the kingdom and asks him how Jesus says you need to be born again. And he's like, what is that about? You know, there's a whole section about being born again. And then eventually Jesus says to Nicodemus, the most famous verse and the, the most famous phrase in the entire Bible in John chapter 3, verse 16, when he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He said that to Nicodemus, and that rings with us to this very day. And it must have rung with Nicodemus too. We don't exactly know the decision Nicodemus made, but I believe that he chose to follow Jesus. And he chose to believe, just like Jesus said he needed to believe. And so he shows up, even at Jesus' death, when Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body, and he gets it, and then Nicodemus comes along to help bury Jesus. Right. Now, where were we? 
verse, we finished 39. Okay, verse 40. John may not have written down these verse numbers when he wrote, you know, his gospel, but they sure are handy. So I like that they're there. All right, verse 40. Uh, Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the tomb, or that the stone, had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, John, right? So she goes to, finds Peter and John. Uh, whom Jesus and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, they had all been told that Jesus was going to rise again, but Scripture tells us that they didn't understand. They couldn't hear. God was preparing, and wait, um, they had to wait to be, for that to be revealed to them. All right, so she goes and she says, we don't know where they've laid him. Verse 3. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. If you've been around here, you know I love this, all right? Because even in the middle of John giving testimony about his Savior who dies on the cross and who rises again, even, spoiler alert, all right, he even in giving testimony about the greatest moment in human history, he still got to point out that he and Peter raced to the tomb and he got there first. <laughs> I, think, I think that John, and by the way, I'm just going to throw this out here, he brings it up two times more in what we're going to read today. So three times. John loved that number three. All right, the, the three times he's got to point out that he beat Peter to the tomb. <laughs> I don't know. As a competitive person, I sure like that. Anyway, all right. <laughs> all right, where are we? Yeah, yeah. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Oh, I should point out, by the way, also, sorry. Uh, he didn't actually get there first, Okay. Mary Magdalene got there first because she was up early doing the hard work while they were hanging out back at the house. I just thought I'd, I just point, thought I'd point that out. Second at best. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I got you. Get out ahead of that one. All right. All right. Out ran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, this is John now, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, (laughs) went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. 
Then the scriptures, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside of the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And that wasn't by far the last of when Jesus was seen alive after his death. He was seen by literally hundreds of people. Hundreds of people that saw him and witnessed it and testified to it and went out from that place and shared that message from town to town to town, telling them what they had seen with their very own eyes. A man who was dead, alive. The Son of God in the flesh, giving the offer of life and salvation to the world. And even though... In Christianity, we tend to overcomplicate things and talk about so many different things. This is the main thing. If Jesus rose from the dead, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, believe in him for salvation. Trust him for salvation. And if you don't believe it, don't. It all hinges on the resurrection. It all hinges on the resurrection. Our faith is based on that. Not on all that other stuff that people want to argue and debate about. Our faith hinges on the resurrection and our belief in it. Jesus' death and his resurrection. You think about what they had. You know, we we have the benefit of the scripture. We have the benefit of having John's words written down so that we can hear from people who were actually there and saw it. 
We have the benefit of, of, of the teachings of Paul. We have the benefit of the teachings of Peter all collected here in this book, in the Bible. But you think back to the first church, the first, second century, they didn't have that, at least not like we have it. They had the Old Testament, they had the law, and they had the prophets. They had the testimony of people who had seen Jesus alive, and they had the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what they had, and it was enough. Their faith was based in the testimony of the resurrection. It tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It's the thing. It's the main thing. And what it means for us, what it means is not just that he was raised, but it means Jesus is alive now. And he ascended to the Father, and he sits at his right hand now. But just as Jesus was raised and he has life, we too can be raised and have life. Christianity is about life. And if if you're not careful and you just look at Christianity, you might think that it's about death. And yes, there are certain things that need to be put to death in our life in order for life to take its place. But you would think that it's about death, and well, you can't really blame us, right? And we love our crosses. We have crosses everywhere, don't we? I mean, we, uh, we take crosses, and which is so weird because now the symbol of the cross has been redeemed to the extent that people don't look at it and think of it as death, I don't think. Um, but at, their, at that time, that's what it was. It was an execution device. So for Christians to go around with crosses was a bizarre, bizarre thing. Right? It was, it was an instrument of death. And we put, I mean, we put them on our buildings, wear them around our necks. We put it like they're in our Bibles and they're in our houses and they're on art and they're like all over the place, right? Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. But I often think that we're out of balance a little bit because we put so much emphasis on the cross and not as much emphasis on the empty tomb. It is both. It's both. They, but they have to go together. They, they, are, they, are, they are interdependent of one another. That, that on the cross, Jesus paid for our sin. He put himself in our place so that we don't have to be separated from God for all of eternity. He paid for our sin on the cross. But the cross is not complete without the resurrection. Because on the third day, he rises again in power, in victory, proving that just as Jesus was raised, we too can be raised. And Christianity is not about death. It's about life. It's about being set free to what God originally created us to be in a relationship with him and in a relationship with each other. Yeah, does that mean that there are things in our life that have to be put to death? Yes, but only so they can be replaced with something much, much better. Christianity is about life. Jesus said this, John chapter 6, so this is just a few chapters after his uh, evening meeting with Nicodemus. John chapter 6 says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing and should raise it up at the last day. This is a promise that his word is good, his word is true. And this, verse 40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
that if you want to have everlasting life, all you have to do is see Jesus and believe in him. That is it. It's the same thing he said to Nicodemus when he met him by night. He said, for, the, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's it. Belief in Jesus. That's it. That's the good news. And if you believe in Jesus for salvation, you can have eternal life. But in Christianity, we make it so complicated and we try to add stuff to that. But that's not what Jesus said. And Jesus didn't give Nicodemus an incomplete definition of salvation. He didn't leave anything out when he talked to Nicodemus. And he didn't leave anything out in John chapter 6. That all you have to do is believe. He did not say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever votes a particular way shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He didn't say that. He didn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he so ever gets everything worked out in their life, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He didn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever sings worship choruses and not hymns shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He didn't say that. He didn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever performs these rites and rituals shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so all the other stuff is worth talking about, and it's important. But it is not primary. What's primary is, did Jesus Christ die on the cross for my sins and rise again on the third day? And if I believe that he did, then I need to trust him for salvation. And it is that simple. And there might be some of you who've been confused. You've been in the cloud, the smoke of all of this media and all of the noise and all this stuff. I just want you to hear that clearly. And that if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he rose on the third day, you can trust him for salvation right now. Everything else we could talk about, but it is that simple. And then we have eternal life, everlasting life. It starts now and then it goes forever. And I know that's a very hard thing for us to wrap our head around because we have not yet experienced forever. And, and oftentimes we have this idea, we, we talk so much about heaven. We say, you know, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and then I'm going to spend forever in heaven. Okay, well, no. Actually, no. That's not the way that works. Uh, and people were like, well, I don't know what heaven is. I think the heaven is just all standing us in a big group just singing all the time. That's what a lot of people think heaven is. All right. Some of you are like, well, I'm not even a singer. I don't, you know, I don't want, some of you don't want Jesus to hear your voice. Like, <laughs> I get it. I mean, I've heard you. You're fine. All right. But like that idea of being in heaven forever is, is a daunting thing for a lot of people. But just so you know, that's not what it is. That's not what's going to happen. At least not what I believe based on what Jesus said and what we read in scripture. Because I believe that Jesus is not just hanging out in heaven for all of eternity. And we're not just hanging out with him for all of eternity. That we believe that Jesus is coming back here. He's coming back here. He's going to establish his kingdom here, and we're going to be here with him. And so we get to experience it. So, like, I'm like you. Like, I don't want to die. 
necessarily. You know, I, I don't want to die. I want to live forever. Guess what? We can. It's like, well, I don't want to just live in like a cloud for the rest of my life. Well, neither do I. I want to live, I want to live where we can live and experience all the great and amazing things that God created for us, but without the greed and without the arrogance and without the hate and without the anger and without the judgment and without all of that. Well, guess what? That's what's coming. <laughs> That's what's coming. And we get to be a part of that. And the more faithful we are to God, the more reward there is in that for us. And it is incredible. What we are talking about here is real life. And not just now, forever. Forever, where we're, there's going to be humor and fun and work for us to do and relationships for us to have. And it's going to be amazing. And so we look forward to that day. You are alive. If you put your faith in Christ, you are alive, and the kingdom is coming. So don't halfway live. Get ready for it now. Live now for then. Peter, uh, the one who got to the tomb third, said this. <laughs> I, might just, I might just always put that on the end. All right. Peter, who got to the tomb third, um, said this. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again or birthed us again, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Christ has been raised to life, and if you put your faith in him, you are too. So don't halfway live. Live free. Live in the way that he's designed for you to live. Don't ever settle for anything less than that. Don't let Jesus just become a part of your life or a piece of your life or faith, an event that you go to once a week or twice a week or however often you go. Jesus is your life. He is, he's your friend. He's your king. And just because he's not here and reigning now doesn't mean he can't reign in your heart now. He is your king. He is your Lord. He's your president. He's your salvation. He's your coach. He's your role model, your governor, your teacher, your manager. He's everything. So don't let him be any less than he is. He is life for you. So walk in it. That's what this day is all about. And it's a great opportunity for us to take and to shut out all the noise and to clear the smoke and to do all of that and just remember what binds us together in unity. And that is Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and the life and relationship that we have with God as a result and the life and the relationship we have with each other as a result. So today, as we're going we're gonna to sing a couple more songs, but wherever you're going today, whatever you're doing, if you're spending time with family or whatever, take that life with you. Take that life with you and walk with him the same way you feel now committed to walk with him. All right. Let's pray together. Father, God, the fact that you allow us even to be your children and to call you father is humbling. And so I ask God right now, we, we, we sit here 
reflecting on what you've done for us. Truly gracious and merciful. You, we deserve any punishment that we would receive. We deserve. But you decided to wipe that away in your kindness and love. God of all the earth, all the universe, to give us life, to give us forgiveness, and to draw us back into a relationship with you that you created us for. Thank you. And I pray that someone today would put their faith in your resurrection for the first time. They believe for the first time and trust you for salvation today, here now. And that whether it's them deciding today for the first time or those of us that have believed for a very long time, that we would see the open tomb new today and commit ourselves today to following you and to living and walking in the life that you've given to us, to look forward to the life that's coming. To give our whole self and our whole heart to you. To know that you are alive, Jesus, that you are coming back, that you are going to bring your kingdom. And that even now we will allow you to reign in our own hearts. to think the years and years when people look forward to you, Jesus. The prophets spoke of this Messiah that was coming, salvation that was coming, and then for them to get to experience you in the flesh here. People like John to be able to lay their eyes on you and watch you, and not just in your teaching, but in your your walking and your moving and the way you loved and for him to see you on the cross. Give us even just a little picture, a little window of what it was like for him to see you, God, in the flesh, suffering. But to know that, Jesus, you did that in our place. The agony they must have felt in the day in between not knowing what was about to happen. But we know what they found out, that the grave couldn't hold you, that you will not be defeated by evil. You will not be defeated by sin. You will not be defeated by death. And so, God, thank you. Thank you for the hope and the confidence and the joy that we have in the resurrection of Jesus to know that unlike all others that came before him, he walked out of the tomb claiming power over sin and power over death. And thank you for the confidence of knowing that if we put our faith in him for salvation, we are saved. And just as he has been raised, we too will be raised. And so in the light of that, in the joy of that, in the peace of that, we want to go just as Jesus was sent. And so God, fill our hearts with joy and hope today and life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.